Hey everybody! Today, your auto runs through his top 25 most anticipated games for 2023. And first of all, let me apologize by saying I'm going to be kind of low energy in this uh, video compared to my normal upbeat self because I am racked with flu. My body is one gigantic ache. I am very cold and clammy, and yet I'm also kind of shivering. And I am just barely making through with my wife's honey water she brought me and also some hauls breezers. This top 25 brought to you by Hall's Breezers. Almost. But it's not only that that I've got to help me through. I've got the whole gang, all the contributors are here to tell you their most anticipated games also. So we're going to start with Shay and then hear from Ryan and Ruel, Kimberly, Amy, Maggie, Grant, and then finally Paolo will all tell you what they're looking forward to in the new year. And then I'll circle back around with two separate lists. My first list will be my top 10 games I'm most anticipating that I have not played. And then after that, I'll have my top 15 that I'm anticipating that I have played. Okay, let's get going. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, so my most anticipated game of 2023 is the Slay the Spire board game. I am a huge fan of the Slay the Spire video game, which if you don't know, is a roguelike deck builder that already owes a lot to the deck building card games that we're all familiar with. So it's really interesting to see this come back to its roots and be an actual board game again. Um, or for the first time, really, in this case. Now. I've heard that it is basically the same as the video game, though a bit more streamlined, but what I'm really, really excited about is the fact that it is a co-op game, meaning that I'll be able to play it with other people, and I'll get to see how the different classes you know, interact with each other. That is something that the video game was never able to do, so that is something that I'm really excited about. So that's my most anticipated game of 2023. All right, folks, see you next year. Hi, Rado. It's Ryan from Knights Around the Table. You already know that. You asked me which board game I'm most looking forward to in 2023. Well, you know when you take uh, too much food on your plate and you can't eat it all and you have to say something like, oh, I guess my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Well, my eyes are bigger than my board game storage space. So <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I feel like Mr. Creosote from The Meaning of Life. I'm just bursting at the seams here and the thought of like trying to wedge one more <laughs> board game into these shelves just is kind of a, kind of a daunting thought to me. So I'm more about uh, trying to uh, deepen my collection instead of broaden it. That means upgrading components and uh, making everything uh, look really nice and feel really nice when you play it. So. I mean, it's not the sexiest answer to give you, but I'm most looking forward to stuff like expansions for board games I already know I like and own. So when I look at the horizon and I think about expansions that I've heard are rumored, I don't even know if they're confirmed yet, so don't take my word for it, but something like, uh, I think there's going to be a second expansion to Lost Ruins of Arnak, and if you played the first expansion to Lost Ruins of Arnak, you know how much extra uh, joy that expansion brought to that game experience. If you checked out my list of top 10 favorite board games of all time that I did with my wife Cheryl, you'll know that my number two game is getting an expansion. I was just kickstarted last year. I did a how to play for it for your channel, and that's coming up, I think, next year, but you can never really count on crowdfunding, can you?
Beyond that, I always keep an eye out for what Mindclash is doing next year. They've got Voidfall coming out. I think Septima is going to land in the same year. So uh, I always like to see their output. I know I've got Voidfall on the way, so I'm excited for that to arrive. But more than anything, more than any one particular game or expansion, what I'm looking forward to most in 2023 is carving out the time in my schedule to have friends over or go to their places or even maybe like rent a cottage and do a little retreat and play games with them. More play, less collect, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's my answer. Take it or leave it. Thanks for asking. Hi, friends. Ruel here to talk about my most anticipated game of 2023, and that is Tidal Blades 2, The Rise of the Unfolders. Now, I got to play an early production copy of this in a sponsored preview on my channel, Tabletop Tonight, with James Hudson, the president of Druid City Games, and wow. I was blown away. So I love the world of Tidal Blades, the original game. Um, it's just this beautiful world that, honestly, I would play good money to watch a movie or watch a TV series based in this world. Um, the original game, the first one, was sort of like Champions of Midgard. Really cool dice-chucking game. Now, the second game, this one that I'm looking forward to, nothing like it. It's a dungeon crawl, but it's what I'm calling a next-level dungeon crawl. Literally, it, it's taking a dungeon crawl to new levels where uh, new things are being done, like the Nexus grid, this action grid grid that you're using so it's almost like a more euro-y uh, in design so you're going to be doing some deck building and then depending on where you place it in your grid it's a little more puzzly you're going to be getting resources you're going to get combat you're going to uh, get movement oh it's so clever and you know tim eisner ben eisner two rock solid designers actually i really enjoyed you know title blaze the original game and also from tim eisner uh canopy a wonderful push your luck game send this uh, another beautiful world of the rainforest but oh title blades to the rise of the folders this is gonna be a big hit it's a campaign game it's got 18 scenarios folks i'm pumped about it i hope you can check it out too that is title blades to the rise of the unfolders Hey everybody, Kimberly here, and I can't wait to tell you what I'm looking forward to in 2023. Now, my pick for this is actually a game that I did a run-through for right here on Rado's channel. And I have to tell you, it is the perfect melding or blending of RPG and board game. So if you haven't guessed it by now, it is Kingfire Chronicles Knights Fall. I loved that game. I cannot wait to get my copy <laughs> because I had to pass on my uh, preview copy after I finished the video, but I played through six different missions in that and I didn't have to, but I wanted to. I just kept playing this uh, game that just developed these wonderful characters and, and I, I feel like there were just, there was a lot to like in this game. My favorite part of this game is that you have characters and they have their own decks. These decks are wholly unique to your character and what your strengths are. And when you pick these decks, they are going to have a really cool, super special activation card. But you have these abilities, you have these uh, one-offs, you have these really cool weapons and uh, just things that you can do on your turn. So every character uh, feels different and every player at the table feels like they really contribute to all the different aspects of the game. Now there is combat, which is a super, super cool thing because it has a fantastic bag drawing feature of who is actually playing and what are they doing. So you reach in the bag that has all the baddies and a lot of different activations for the baddies. They don't do the same thing every turn and you have all the goodies. And so you've got, you reach in and you pull out these little discs and they tell you, oh, my character acts or, oh, Lewis's character or somebody else at the table or it's the baddie and it's the baddies this action. 
And so every time you draw, you might go two turns in a row. You might watch the baddies go three turns in a row because you're drawing from the bag. And that is just dynamite. It works so well and I love it to pieces. But the thing I love more about Kinfire Chronicles is the questing, is the adventuring. And that happens before you have battles and after you have battles and in between going to city and doing city actions um, like you do in a lot of um, RPGs or you might do in something like Gloomhaven where you have to go and do like city stuff. Uh, but that's it. And I just love the adventuring. Again, it's all about your character and what their strengths are. And you do checks and skill checks and it's just such a clean, clever game. Every single scenario takes 45 minutes to play and the entire game walks you through all the bits and pieces. It is a dynamite game. And again, I cannot wait to get my very own copy of Kinfire Chronicles Night's Fall in 2023. All right, everybody. See you later. Happy New Year. G'day everybody, it's Amy Maggie from Thinkathema here to talk about our most anticipated games of 2023. Mine is actually a game that I did have the opportunity to play just one time mm. at Dice Tower West. Clearly and enough that it made an impression. It did make an impression and it's one mm. that I've been thinking about ever since, which yeah. I think is a good sign and it's one that I just am really looking forward to exploring more of and that is Last Light. Mm. Last Light was uh, crowdfunded and it's actually the game of uh, Roy Canaday from the Dice Tower, so you, I'm sure you'd be familiar with him from the Dice Tower um, and now he's made his own game and yeah. it's a 4X game that can be played in one hour. In under an hour. Or well, just. In our case, it was just under an hour. He timed it. He taught us. And we all played together. I think yeah. there was six six of us, seven yeah. of us. Six it seven was of a us. big group. Yeah. And we uh, the reason why it plays so quickly is because it's all simultaneous. Yeah. So you choose a card out of like many different actions and a hand of cards. And everybody plays at the same time. And then most of the actions can play out without any kind of turn order. Mm. Um, and it works just like a Forex game does where you're kind of going out into a galaxy and you're trying to collect these shards of light. Mm. And I just really appreciate the design of it. I'm someone who likes a game that's fairly simple to teach and that can involve everybody all the time. I hate downtime in games. I hate games that are not interactive. And this one is, of course, because it's a yes. forex game, it's super interactive. And I like pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Really cool hand management as well. Yeah, great hand management. Kind of playing the different uh, actions. And then at one point, everyone kind of gets to draw back when the last person has sort of played that, you know, whatever that action is that mm -hmm. resets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it is a really interesting game mechanically. Mm. And I don't usually like spy, uh, space themes, mm. um, but this one really just intrigues me from a mechanics perspective. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting it to the table and, you know, with a big group of friends. Because nice. how many games do you know that are that complex that can play in under an hour? And so, so many people. Yeah. That is why it is my, so far, one of my most anticipated nice. games of 2023. Well, for me, it's actually a prototype that we have right here, and that is Unconscious Mind. Now, this is uh, this is from Fantasia, uh, as the uh, publisher Fantasia. It's got a lot of uh, designers. I'm going to have to read them. So it's Yomasak, Laxus, 
Laskas, uh, Johnny, Johnny Pack. and Johnny Pack. Mm-hmm. I absolutely adored this game. It's a fairly uh, kind of crunchy uh, Euro where you are um, contemporaries of Freud and you are looking at um, meeting in the, the Wednesday uh, Psychoanalytical Society, I believe it was called, and you're just looking at the best way to, to treat clients and help people uh, lift these, uh, these layers of grief off of them through um, helping them interpret their dreams. And the artwork in this is just spectacular. I love the decision space and it just it was just one of those prototypes that as soon as I played it I was like I am in love I can't wait to play this again and again and keep discovering what else there is in this game and there is a lot and I just yeah I think thematically and mechanically this game was almost just about made for me oh I love it um, it is very heavy and it's also very multiplayer solitaire which is something <laughs> Maggie loves working me just chipping away at her own puzzle not being too you know messed with by her opponent so mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it um but again, I'm less. I like a very interactive game. Um, but there I think, are some kind of race objectives. That, right. that means yes. that you kind of it makes you look at. Oh no, what's Amy got? Is she going to be reaching that objective? Maybe that was I my favorite part. Yeah. Absolutely, is the race objectives bit. and the puzzle itself is just really hard to crack. Actually, it's quite difficult to be yeah. efficient. Um, it's got a really interesting worker placement style design where you can take more actions at once if you want to. But then mm. when you take back your workers, you're not getting as many goodies. Mm. There's a tableau on your player board that is going to allow you to unlock these little um, glass beads that you actually need to put onto your resource tracker. There's so much going on. So much. So So much much going on. Um, Yeah, a beautiful design. I 100% agree that that is going to be up there for 2023. Unconscious mind. Well, it seems like 2023 is going to be another big year for board games and we are here for it. Bring it on. We are so excited for it. Can't wait to see what everyone else puts on their list. What's on your list? Please drop it in the comments below we'd love to hear about it but otherwise see you soon bye for for now hey i'm grant with grant's game rex here to talk about my most anticipated game to talk about my most anticipated game of 2023 now it is so hard to pick one most anticipated game because there's so many great games coming out all the time i don't know how to pick just one that's so hard to it's just really it's really hard to do okay but I've picked my most anticipated game, and that is Inside Job from Cosmos. So Inside Job is a trick-taking game with hidden roll. I just keep going back to it. I just keep going back to it. It's a, it's a hidden roll game with, it's a trick-taking game with hidden rolls in it, okay? So it is basically taking the idea of the crew with cooperative trick-taking and then inserting a traitor into the mix. And The Crew is one of my favorite games of all time. I love trick-taking games. I love social deduction games. Combining the two of them seems impossible. I don't know how they're gonna pull this off, but I really wanna try it. I'm really curious. You know what? I'm going for it now. Let's see how strong my arm is, huh? I'm just really excited to see if they can pull off this mix between hidden rolls and trick-taking because it seems like a tough thing to pull off, but I really hope that they do it. If, if you like the stuff that I do, come, I'm really happy to be on Rado's channel, but also come check out my channel, youtube.com slash Grant Lion, Lion with a Y. Have fun in 2023. Hi everyone, the Paulo here again. Richard asked me to give you my, my most anticipated game from 2023. Uh, I'm still the Invicta one, like I showed you in the previous video. 
I'm going to show you off again because I'm proud of it. <laughs> so here it is. Let's get back to the to the anticipated games of 2023. Uh, the, the first one that I want to mention is Hegemony. I don't think uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Hegemony, lead your place to victory. Uh, Richard has a video for this on the channel. It's a very very interesting game, a very different game. Uh, it's feels like it is going to be a very different game from the usual fair that we play. Uh, then we have Pampero, also a video on the channel from Richard. Uh, excellent. It, it looks to be excellent. I really like the designer, Julian Pombo. I think it's the Mercado of Lisboa is a very underrated game, but this one is an, on another level. Uh, then it's Unconscious Mind. I don't think I have to say anything about this. It's, it's already a big hit on uh, on crowdfunding, and everyone is talking about it. So let's go. Let's get to the next one. The next one is El Burro, uh, La Granja game from Ode. I really, really, really love La Granja. I think it's an excellent game. I like Cooper Island a lot, and Ode never misses the target. So when he comes out with the game, I'm always going to check it out. And this one, uh, being in the same universe of Lagrange, uh, really piqued my interest. In, my interest. Uh, and finally, my number one game of uh, my number one anticipated game of 2023 couldn't be any other than uh, Inventions: The Evolution of Ideas from Vital Lacerda. I'm a big Vital Lacerda games fan. I love the. the the weight of their of, of his games, the production, everything about it. I have played uh, the game already in playtesting, so I already know it's an excellent game, and because of that, it's my number one and most anticipated game of 2023. So that's it. Hope you have a nice day and play a lot of excellent games. So, bye bye. Phew! Wow. That was a lot of really good suggestions, folks. Hopefully, one or two of those maybe piqued your interest. And uh, you may not have heard the last of some of them. They might be appearing on some of my upcoming lists as well. Before we get to that, I want to once again thank and shout out to the Brothers Murph and Christian Adventure Gamer, two different YouTube channels covering board games. I was able to use their video to show a couple of the games that had not been covered on my channel. So thanks, gang. Uh, there's going to be links for their videos down in the show notes if you want to check them out. Both are channels worth checking out, in my opinion. Okay, so now we're going to get to mine. Remember, first of all, I've got my top 10 games that I have not played. And I just want to give a little warning to some viewers. I hear this every year whenever I do my top anticipated games, like, yawn, where's all the heavy euros? Where's the crunchy stuff that I come to Rotto Runs Through for? Don't worry, folks. Most of those are going to be in the second list, the top 15 most anticipated that I've already played. Um, that's not to say, though, there aren't 10 really, really cool games that I've done the research on and I I'm very confident I want to give a go. So uh, it is time to share all of that with you. Folks, uh, let's start with number 10 on the list, Marvel Damage Control. And folks, 
I am very excited about this for a number of reasons. One, well, I'm just the biggest Marvel fanboy. Make mine Marvel ever since I was a little kid. And I very much love the idea of a game set in the Marvel Comics universe, not centered around the heroes, but centered around the construction crews, the normal, everyday men and women who try to clean up after the superhero battle is over. This is like a whole thing in the comics. They start bringing it into the MCU, and they're making a game about it now. It's from designer um, Omari Akil who he had a really big hit, was it two years ago, with Rap Gods? I haven't played that yet, but I've heard nothing but good things, so I'm very excited to see it. And then the other thing I'm super excited about is from WizKids. And here's the deal, folks. I had no idea, uh, if you had told me a year ago that WizKids would have had two of my top 10 games of 2022... I don't know if I would have believed you, but they did. And so anything WizKids is doing moving into 2023, I'm very excited about. So there's a bunch of reasons to be stoked. But in addition to that, I just love the idea of Hey, okay, after the battle is over, and this um, destroyed battle area, this is a picture taken uh, from a demo at PAX Unplugged, it looks like. Uh, the destroyed battle area is combined of like two different decks of cards. There's four decks of cards, one about Ars Guardian battles, one about um, you know Ultron battles, one about Pym particles. So um, you, you take two of those things together to represent the hero and the villain who are fighting. You shuffle them up, you swoosh them all down, face down, and I'm assuming you can't get to those things things that are lower on the deck until you reveal the stuff that's above the deck. But all this is being done. It's a, I think it's a deck builder as well, because you have a deck of cards that represent all of your employees who have all kinds of special powers. And, um, you know, there's all the different refuge you're getting, you know, based on the supervillains and the superheroes. So I just love this thematically. Um, and they all seem like they've got, you know, interesting powers on them that you're going to build up over time. Um, and um, you know, not you know, elements from the heroes as well. And I believe the heroes are actually still hanging around. And if you do a good enough job, you can get them on side, and they will help you out as well. So that all sounds very, very cool. I am really excited for this because of the designer, because of the publisher, because of the subject matter, um, and because of the you know, the interesting approach to it. You know, the way that it's it's not just a grid of sixteen by sixteen cards, but it looks like you know a rubble strewn area with all the cards, and you got to dig down to find the stuff that's underneath. I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it should be a very, very neat game, and that's why it comes in at number 10 on the list, Marvel Damage Control. Then we go on to number 9 on the list, Point City. Point City, which I didn't even know about until yesterday when I was doing all my research. I This had completely flown under the radar. But a few years ago, a couple of years ago, designers Molly Shannon, Robert Melvin, and Sean uh, Stankowitz, who are just... A trio powerhouse. The uh, you know the, the 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 friends who are behind flat out games who are just putting out amazing um, you know gateway level games that still have enough depth and um, interest level for hardcore gamers like me and Jen. They have just been putting out a string of fantastic games. And one of their biggest hits to date so far for publisher um, AEG was uh, Point Salad, very simple card drafting game where you are literally grabbing salad components to score points. So now they've got a sequel to that, 
Point City, um, build your city and score in hundreds of unique ways. And that sounds very cool to me because I believe they said there are 150 unique building cards as we are trying to build up our city in this game with all kinds of powers. Uh, there's no videos for it yet. There must be images. Yes, here they are. So, you know, here's, and it looks like, um, like Point Salad, they're all two-sided. So they could either represent the different resources you need, like economy, energy, uh, ecology, community, ingenuity, which looks like a wild for all the other things, or they represent the buildings that require those resources to build, and then they've got you know whatever abilities they've got. But the interesting thing is, uh, there, here is a picture that was snapped um, again at PAX Unplugged. I really need to get myself to PAX Unplugged, apparently, because I would have had a chance to play this thing or at least talk to him about it. All the cards are laid out in a random four by four grid, and you know they're all two sided cards, so I assume they're shuffled and all around. And what you do is, on your turn, you have to pick any two adjacent cards you want and then add them to your own city that you are building over to the side. So this is, an, an, is a certain extent exactly the same thing as Point Salad, where, hey, there were all these cards that were flipping up and you took two every round, but there it was much more simple. There were just four cards. You could take any two you wanted. Uh, you were kind of trying to pay attention to what's coming in the future and all that. Here, I think it's going to be a much more interesting and engaging puzzle to work out because, well, do I want a couple of resources? Do I want this building in this resource? I want that building, but the resource that that I need to build it isn't next to it. What do I do? I, I, I just instantly, I look at this and I can see these are going to be fun, interesting, compelling decisions every turn as you try to decide which two adjacent cards do you want to grab. Somebody sees you grab a bunch of community, they might know you're going to try and build that community-based building and maybe they're going to do something about that. Uh, who knows? I, I certainly don't because I'm just going based on having played um, Point Salad, which was fantastic. And again, everything from Molly, Robert, and Sean has been really, really great. Verdant um, was a phenomenal game that they brought out last year. And so, whenever they get together, I'm excited for what they've got in mind. And in 2023, it's going to be Point City, baby. Okay, let's move on then to number eight on the list. Uh, Divinus. Now, um, this actually was on my most anticipated list for last year, too. It looks like they took a little bit longer to bring it out, but that's okay. Um, I am still super stoked for it because uh, this is from publisher Lucky Duck Games, uh, which is cool. They do generally very high-quality productions, and they do really great digital um, app-assisted stuff as well, and this game definitely features that. But I'm more interested in the designer, um, Philip uh, Malunsky, because he designed one of the greatest tile-land games of all time, um, uh, capital. Although I think it got renamed to something, didn't it? What was it? I mean, look at look him up here. All right, oh, a lot of people are excited about Destinies, and he did Magnum Saul back in the day. CV is phenomenal too. But Warsaw City and Ruins, which I believe was previously called Capital, is again one of the best tile layers of all time. So. Um, Philip is coming back and doing another tile layer that just looks gobsmackingly gorgeous. Just drop-dead, amazingly beautiful, this game. And it is all about grabbing tiles to build up our own little um, biome. Um, and, you know, the different tiles have different icons. We're trying to do set collection and whatnot. And apparently it's driven by every round we roll dice. And we can take the results of our three dice and we can add them together or subtract them or do various sensory math things to be able to take, oh, I want to get... Um, uh, 
uh, tile number 20. Okay, I guess I could um, take the, uh, the, the uh, 6 and a 6 and a 6 and a 2. There went 4 of my 5 dice or something like that. I'm not quite sure what the full length of it is. I watched some of um, Monique and Naveen's excellent run-through uh, to get an idea, and it seemed like it was fairly sharply laid out. But here's the interesting thing. I'm kind of bearing the lead, folks. Yeah, this is a gorgeous tile layer from somebody who has an amazing pedigree for tile laying games. From a publisher that's known for really wonderful productions and digital implementation of their productions, all that aside, this is a legacy game. Every game you play, you are going to be making permanent changes to the world because there is a war between gods going on, and we are demigods trying to seek the favor. Uh, according to the video I saw, it starts out with... Um, the Greek pantheon against the Norse pantheon. And um, so we're trying to decide, hey, what pantheon is on the rise? And that will actually change the tenor of future games. If uh, you know the Greeks rise ascendant over the Norse gods or whatever, um, you make uh, changes to your dice. Uh, I, in the prototypes I looked at, they were putting stickers, but I think for the final game, they're removable somehow. I'm not really quite sure how that works. And like I said, there is an app assistant because the game is very strongly story-driven. And if you watch all the way to the end of Mon Monique and Naveen's, they are, before you play. Uh, the last thing that happens in their run-through, like, my jaw dropped. I almost am inclined to say, don't watch to the end, because you don't want that surprise spoiled for you if you play the game. But I'm glad I did, because, wow, those kinds of things can happen in the story, driven by the choices we made in an app that is keeping track of what we're doing. Yes, please. I am excited. I have been excited about this ever since I've heard about it. And now that I've seen video of it and pictures of it, I'm, I'm as excited as I've ever been, which is why Divinus comes in at number eight. Then we move on to number seven on the list, Earth. And honestly, this is one that was on Kickstarter in 2022. Totally missed it. I uh, I think it was running in March, and I don't know what I was doing at the time, but uh, I am really embarrassed that I did not talk to you about this game sooner. But fortunately, a couple of weeks ago, I did uh, top 10 crowdfunded games of 2022 with uh, Chris George of Room and Board, which is another fantastic channel, by the way, folks. You have to subscribe. If you like anything I do, you will definitely like what Chris does. But anyway, Chris put this on his list. Um, and he talked to me about it. And yeah, I am super stoked for it now. This is a uh, game where we are, you know, um, basically deciding the uh, development of biomes on Earth. And this is another game that comes with a gigantic deck of cards with tons of variety, tons of variability, and um, you know, gorgeous presentation of stuff from all, you know, creatures and environments from all around the world. And it is a, uh, what do you call it? a race for the galaxy style game in that, hey, uh, when a player's live, they pick one thing and all the other players get to follow. And so you're, I love that mechanism, that following mechanism, whenever it shows up in games, because it's just one of the coolest ways to get interaction between players. If I can figure out what you're going to do, when you're going to zig instead of zag, I can make my plans that much stronger. And the same for you. That's why you always pay attention to your uh, opponents in these sorts of games. Uh, excuse me for a second. <coughs> oh my goodness. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyway, uh, and if weren't if that weren't enough, uh, apparently all the cards are color coded as well. So that in future turns, when certain colored actions or certain colored cards are played, that will activate all the previous cards you played of that color. So you can start um, setting up really big combo chains and whatnot, which is something Jen and I always very much appreciate. So it looks great, uh, it sounds great, and Chris George, somebody whose opinion I very much respect, he gave it high marks, which is why I am excited for it. And Earth, just simply Earth comes in at number seven, most anticipated game of 2023. All right, then. Let's move on to number six, Bot Factory. And now, um, this one I've been stoked for for a while. because uh, it is from co-designer Vito Lasarda. He's working with, I believe, his same... Was it his design uh, co-partner who worked on... No, I do not know his... uh, Yao Quintella Martins. Oh, yeah, Yao has apparently done quite a few games that I'm not familiar with, but this is Vital, not flying solo, but he's taking one of his most well-loved designs of all time, um... Kanban, or more recently, Kanban EV, and changing it from a game about um, you know working in an automotive manufacturing plant and turning it into a more fun, silly, lighthearted, oh, it's a robot manufacturing plant. And the thing is, a couple of years ago, Vital worked with another designer, and the two of them took Lisboa, maybe Vital Lasarda's heaviest game to date, and streamlined it down to a little gateway-style game. And I think a lot of people were unhappy with that game because, you know, Vital Lasarda is known for incredibly rich, heavy, big, complex games. Some of the heaviest heroes you're ever going to play. Incredibly thematic and all that. And when they stripped it down to, really, something that was about the same level as a ticket to ride, that's not what people wanted to see. So it's interesting in that they're doing the same thing again, taking another one of his favorites, and streamlining it down, but not, not all the way down to Ticket to Ride level, or or Lords of Waterdeep level. This looks like it's coming down to a a, uh, more medium weight type hero instead of a really, really heavy one. And that's very exciting for me, because I've always loved Vital's designs, but over time I found myself getting a little bit more intimidated every time one of his new games shows up, because they're so complex. And so... A game where it has the heart and soul. This is a worker placement game where you have one worker that is you that you're moving around and you're trying to stay ahead of your manager, Sandra. I think her maybe her name is still Sandra in this game, actually. She's followed you from one job to another. I'm really excited to see how well Vital and uh, Yao, or I'm sorry if I don't know how to pronounce your name, J-A-O-A, uh, have... have, have to have kept the core alive, but brought it down into something that you can maybe get done in an hour in more of a medium weight, which is what gets me so stoked for number six on the list, Bot Factory. Okay, now 
we go on to number five, The Bazaars of Ubar, which uh, just finished its uh, crowdfunding campaign um, you know, at the, at the end of December. Really flew under the radar. You know, Obviously, putting up a game on Kickstarter in December is always a bit of a risk because people aren't thinking about backing games anymore. They're thinking about the games they got to get and put under their tree for their friends and loved ones or whatever. But um, when I checked out this um, game, I fell in hard in love with it because it um, really engenders in me very strong Glenmore vibes uh, because this is a tiling engine builder where um, you're gathering, harvesting resources uh, and storing them in your flying airship. You know, it's kind of a fantastical um, Arabian Nights type setting, I believe, something like that, uh, with with flying ships and all that. But anyway, you're, you're collecting all these resources to get them to be able to grab and build tiles. And when you put the tiles down, you build them in your own little grid, just like Glenmore. And in Glenmore, when I put a tile down, I activate all the adjacent tiles and that tile. And that one simple rule led to such wonderful, deep, crunchy, crunchy gameplay. And I've loved it. I've, I've seen very few games that have attempted anything like it. Bazaars of Ubar, I think, takes it to the next level. Because when you put a tile down, it's not just that you blanket, um, you know, affect or activate that tile and everything around it. Instead, these tiles have little arrows on them that tell you um, that, okay, activate this and everything to the right or activate this and everything on this row. I think there's some pictures somewhere in here past all the stuff. Nope, there's not. All right. Anyway, so, uh, gosh, I could have sworn there were like the little animated gifts, but no, there are not. Anyway, though, it looks really great to me. I'm a big, huge, I mean, Glenmore to this day is still one of my favorite tiling games of all time. And tiling is one of my favorite mechanisms of all time. So something that takes the ideas of Glenmore into a new direction and does fresh, new, fun stuff with it in what looks like a very bright and inviting, colorful fantasy world. All of this uh, makes me very excited for number five on the list of most anticipated games for 2023, The Bazaars of Ubar. Okay, now let's go on to uh, number four. Reiner Knizia, the doctor of design, is in the house with my island. And now, unfortunately, there is almost no information about this game at all. Develop your island through the ages in this family-friendly legacy experience. And now that'll tell you something, because this is basically a sequel to My City. And Jen and I were blown away by Reiner Knizia trying his hand at a um, legacy-style game my City was fantastic. Probably one of the best implemented legacy games I have played thus far. And I've played most of them. And um, you know, if I were ever to do a top 10 legacy games, My City would rank very, very high. And the only thing that kept it from being higher is that uh, Dr. Knizia didn't stick the landing. After you finished the campaign, you could keep playing, but a lot of the stuff that made the game so special got thrown away. I'm hoping, 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 hoping that he learns his lesson from that and puts a little bit more work into the post-game of My Island, which, uh, from this, all I can tell you is the box cover. I looked around, there's no pictures anywhere. Um, even though this game has gotten delayed over and over, it was supposed to be early last year. Um, but anyway, I can tell apparently they are going to be hex tiles we're laying down instead of uh, squares like my city. So it'll probably be a little bit more um, complex, a little bit more interesting. I, again, cannot stress just how fantastic my city is as a standalone legacy game. You are you still have a game left over, but it could have been work could have been done. My fingers are crossed that my island sticks the landing um, and is even better than and its predecessor, um, my uh, my city, and that folks is number four on the list. Okay, number three 
is uh, one I'm very, very excited about. It is Daybreak. Now, this is from the creator of Pandemic. Uh, Matt Leacock is going back to working on, um, or he's working on a co-op game that is not Pandemic uh, inspired, which is you know cool in and of itself. And it looks like this thing really blew up on Backerkit. It was very, very successful. If I recall, he had a co-designer on this. Um, oh, Matayo Menapes, a designer and educator specializing in cooperative play. So that's a good team. But what is the game about? Well, um, it is about uh, players working cooperatively to save the world by bringing around a uh, a green new future, uh, you know, which is a subject matter that has popped up recently in a bunch of games. There were a bunch of Kickstarter games over the last couple of years that have really, because obviously this is all part of the zeitgeist. Uh, as more and more people are coming on board with the idea that look, we have to turn things around, and so. Why does this one stand out from all the other ones? Because, you know, uh, it really grabs my attention. Why do I think this might be the best game to tackle this subject matter since Vita Lasarda CO2 that came out over a decade ago? Uh, Mr. Lasarda was so far ahead of the curve. CO2 is brilliant. But what I'm excited about with this, there's a few things. Um, let's see, I'm pretty sure, yeah, this one. Uh, so uh, it's all about, you know, trying to sequester or stop the uh, production of carbon, uh, and which are represented by these cubes. Hey, more forestation means you can sequester. So you can sequester in the, um, uh, you know, in the forest or in the oceans. Although um, the more of that, and the more carbon that you cannot take care of starts making the world uh, temperature rise. Uh, which will lead to various and sundry disasters, pretty much all the kind of stuff you would expect. Um, but what, uh, oh, oh, there's a few things that really jump out at me. One, the game has a really strong focus, I don't know if they're going to show it here, on the effect that uh, global warming has on communities, which is not something that generally, I mean, most games that are like this tend to focus, all right, there's no pictures of it, you'll have to take my word for it, most of these games tend to focus on the industry side. What's the effect on industry, um, global warming, and the uh, the attempts to, uh, you know, curb greenhouse gas emissions. This game, um, you know, we are the industry, or, you know, we, we are the people, I should say, trying to stop it. So one of the biggest disasters is that it can affect communities that because we have on our board, um, you know, more and more communities are displaced or affected. And I appreciate that the message is more human-centric here than it ever than it has been in most other games of this ilk. But I stayed on this because there's another thing I really appreciate about this game. I believe 150 cards, if I recall correctly, that's how many comes with it. Each card represents a different, unique way that humanity can fight the effects of climate change, can curb our um, you know, addiction to fossil fuels and all that. And every single one of these cards literally has a QR code on it that while you're playing, you can... Oh, what? Actually, I don't really know what, what is this about. That sounds really interesting. I, I mean, with 150 cards, I guarantee you, you are going to hear about stuff you've never heard of before, and you can le learn more about it. So this game, I mean, the interesting thing about these games, and this is true for CO2 as well, is they can tend to be a little de um, you know, depressing, quite frankly, when they, they stop to make us reflect on what a bad job we have done so far. You know, as a species, we've known about this since the 90s, and um, the, the industries involved, they've known about it for a lot longer. They've just tried to tried to keep it quiet, um, you know, same way tobacco used to do. And um, so we are way behind the curve. And the thing is, it is so easy to just throw your hands up and say, "Well, you know, whatever. It's doomed. Millions of people are going to die. There's nothing I can do about it. So why even bother?" This game, because of its focus on 150 different things that the smartest of us are working on night and day around the world, I think has the potential to be a really positive 
uplifting game that can remind us how, hey, you know, when we're at our best and we work together, we can do anything as a species. We can destroy the world, but we can save the world too, which is why I am very, 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 very excited about number three on the list. Plus, it's always just good to see a new co-op design from Matt Leacock. Daybreak. Okay. Then let's go on to number two on the list, Mythwind. Okay, this was a monster hit when it was on crowdfunding. Um, 11,000 backers made 1.3 million. And I'm not surprised because this is the next game from the publisher of Stars of Akarios. Star of Akarios just barely missed making my top 10 of the year. And so I already am, I'm hardcore digging this uh, d- uh, publisher's pedigree. But what I'm more excited about is this game's design because what it's really trying to do is capture the feel of open-ended video games like um, Stardew Valley or, um, oh gosh, what was the old Nintendo one? Animal? Animal Crossing? Those kinds of games. That's just like, hey, this is a world you just live in. This is not a game to be beat. This is a world that you just want to see how it evolves and grows over time at the same time that you are growing and evolving while you explore everything you can be. And I love that. I love it when games take brave, new, bold, experimental stances. I mean, the designers were very upfront saying, yeah, this game doesn't have an ending. You just keep playing. And, you know, every once in a while you get it out and you play it some more and you see how the world keeps changing and you're just trying to... Now, I know some people said, well, that sounds ridiculous. How, how can it be a game if it doesn't have, um, a, you know, an, an in-game condition and victory points? Well, for folks who say that, I would like to point you to a little game called The Sims, which um, has proven now for decades that um, you can have fun gameplay without having to have a central core drive. So, bringing that idea into board games, I am my hats off to these developers for doing it. That sounds really great. But then on top of that, um, there's also a really strong focus on asymmetrical characters because each player, um, when you set up to try and help build the town of Mythwind, um, are playing a radically different game. And and um, there were some people who covered this. Uh, you know, uh, Monique and Naveen did a, a great run through, uh, if I recall correctly. I, I watched some folks' videos of it. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the different uh, characters have completely different gameplays. If you are the crafter player, you're playing a bag builder. You know, throwing stuff, trying to draw it out of the bag to be able to craft different items. If you're the farmer, you are playing a, a polyomino tile laying game as you try to raise crops and feed the people of your growing town. If you're the merchant, I'm not quite sure what this one is. I kind of get the impression it's maybe an engine builder or some kind of hand management game. They don't really say much about it. When it was live on Kickstarter, they mostly, all the demos focused on the farmer and the crafter. Obviously, those were the furthest along in development. The fourth character is the woodsman, who seems like they're some kind of adventurer going off out into the woods. And again, playing some completely different game, because they've got an exploration deck and a scouting deck that they're dealing with, while the merchant has, um, well, secret has, uh, you know, order cards, you know, so it's probably like a, a, a recipe fulfillment thing. And what I'm very excited about is the potential for players who are playing radically different games to have my game help your game, because this is cooperative. We're all working to the best betterment of Mythwin. So if I'm growing the crops that will help you fulfill the recipes you need as a merchant, I look forward to seeing how um, you know, radically different games can all dovetail into you know, the same common goal. I absolutely love that. I love the fact there's emerging narrative, the drop-in and drop-out play. You could play one time with your friends and they'd never have to play again because you know the game is just, it's like that. You can jump in, you can play solo for a while. You can, I mean, I love everything about the freewheeling nature of this and I cannot wait to see how they pull it off. But more anything else, I'm very excited about the asymmetrical gameplay because everybody's, you know, ever since Root came out, although before that there was um, Vast and there's been a few more 
These games that everybody's so excited about because players are playing radically different games. I love that idea, but I don't want to do it in a dudes on a map game where we're trying to kill each other, which is where the majority of the success in this new um, growing asymmetrical, hey, everybody's playing their own game genre has gone. Uh, last year, we had Free Radicals, which I absolutely loved. And I, I would have loved Merchant's Cove because it was another game where everybody plays their own game, but it had a really cutthroat thing that tied everybody together. This has a wonderful communal um, drive that draw, pulls everybody together, and that is much more enticing for me, which is why Mythwin comes in as my number two most anticipated game of the year. And finally, Finally, folks, the my number one. Hey, if there's an Uve, whoop, gosh darn it. Sorry, folks. <laughs> if there's a new Uve Rosenberg game coming, I want to check it out. And so I have been paying a lot of attention to Oranian Burger Canal. Um, ever since it was crowdfunding on some German crowdfunding site last year, and I guess it was successful. It's from Uve Rosenberg, the uh, publisher Spielworks, and um, it's a solo or two-player only game. And what really got my attention more than anything else, folks, if you ever want to know about games, if you're trying to anticipate, don't pay attention to me as a data point or any other channel. Go to Board Game Geek, click on the comments, and then start looking at all the comments of people who have played them. Look at the high-ranked comments, look at the low-ranked comments, and try to get an idea. But I got to say, when um, one of these high... Oh, and then turn comments on, of course, has comments... Oh, was it, was it a nine? There we go. Um, Lovelace here in Hamburg, Germany, who has played it. Um, you know, uh, I, I probably at Essen or something like that. Maybe one of Uwe's most brain-burning games yet. Easy to learn, a lot of planning. That gets my excitement up. Uh, Uwe Rosenberg's most brain-burnery game to date, and it's a two-player-only game about building um, the Oranienburger Canal in... Oh, what town is it? I'm trying to remember. I want to say Brandenburg. Was that right? Uh, yeah, Brandenburg. Um, now... Let's see, there's uh, not much in the way of videos or images, but there was actually one, I think, particularly good image of some folks playing it at Essen Spiel that I think does a pretty good job of capturing what makes this interesting. At its heart, it's a worker placement game, and we've seen this from Uwe Rosenberg a lot. Honestly, I don't think the worker placement is going to do anything particularly new or novel or groundbreaking, but that's okay, because what's really all about is grabbing the cards that represent the different industries you're trying to build up in Brandenburg, but as you um, get all the resources to build these cards, they just sit there. They don't actually activate and do their special ability until one of two things happens. Until you completely surround them uh, and by linking them into the transportation network by either building roads or canals. Um, because this is historically one of the big things. This was a one of the big um, architectural drives of this era was this super canal that just you know turned the city into the Venice of Germany. I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, so you're either trying to make canal spread or road spread that both have different requirements for transportation of goods. Um, but then, uh, so once you get a particular building you've built completely surrounded on your board, it will activate once. It'll do its power once. Then you want to activate again. And to do that, there's a separate network you're trying to connect it to. Because in addition to surrounding all the buildings you've built, all the industries you've built with the... Um, infrastructure for transportation, you also have to link them up to other buildings via bridges. Apparently, that's a big deal in Brandenburg, is the bridges of Brandenburg. So, I need to connect this to, if I want this activated a second time, it gets power a second time, I need to connect it up to other buildings with the bridges on top of the other. And that just sounds really cool to me. I'm really, really digging this core idea. And hey, if it's one of Uwe Rosenberg's crunchiest games ever, uh, according to uh, one random reporter on Board Game Geek, well, you better know I want to be there with bells on when I finally get my hands on my number one most anticipated game of the year, 
Oranienburger Canal with a K. Okay, folks. Have you made it this far? I am very impressed, and so I shall reward your patience and perseverance with the top 15 games I am most anticipating in 2023 that Jen and I have already played. Uh, some of these uh, go back a few years because these are all things that I was able to check out the prototype when they were crowdfunding. And so, I can speak from experience. Every single one of these is crackerjack super fun. I was taking some educated guesses on that first list, but these next 15, oh, I stand by all of them. So, folks, if you're ready to get going, and if I've got the strength to keep going, I might need uh, another one of these. Let's uh, start with number 15 on the list, Rolling Heights, which is a very, very cool SimCity style game from designer John D. Clare, uh, who, you know, most famously did Mystic Veil, vale, but a whole bunch of other games beside. I mean, he's really known as the uh, card crafting guy, but after this, maybe he'll be known as the rolling meeple guy, because the coolest element of this game is, rather than rolling dice or rolling cards to see what our construction crews can do to help us build up the best city of Rolling Heights, we literally roll our worker meeples into a little box. And depending on whether they lie down or they're standing on their heads or they're standing up, they can do more or less work. And I just got to say, that is an adorable joy that does not get old Rolling Meeples. This is not the first game to do Rolling Meeples, but it does it so well. So anyway, I have played this, Jen and I played this, and I went into it assuming, oh yeah, this is going to be a fun little trifle of a game. A light SimCity type thing with a neat little gimmick. What really makes this game sing is not the rolling meeples into the box. It is the city building, because this has got to be one of the richer, crunchier. This isn't quite up there with urban sprawl, necessarily, but this has got a lot more going on than most similar SimCity-inspired board games. And Jen and I were really impressed by it, uh, in large part because of the physicality of the game. As you build taller and taller skyscrapers, they are literally physically bigger on the board, and that just has a really great table presence. But the game comes with so many different variable objective elements to the game, just overflowing with them. Every time you play this game, you're going to get a very different feel as you're pushed to expand or um, you know build in different ways. And again, very, very impressive design. Jen and I really were very uh, much in love with it. And I cannot wait for uh, the final, number 15, on the list, Rolling Heights. Then let's go on to number 14. Alderman. Now, this is a crunchy game. This might be the heaviest game that Jen and I played in 2022. In fact, it's kind of lower on my list because it's almost maybe a little bit too heavy for Jen when it boils right down to it. But don't get me wrong, folks. Everything on this list. I mean, I played almost 200 games last year. So to make it into my uh, to this short list, these are all absolutely phenomenal. I stand by them because we played them all quite a bit. But anyway, what is Alderman about? We are members of the Hanseonic League trying to sail around the Baltic Sea and, um, you know, uh, buy low and sell high, basically, and then get back to our home port and invest in the building up of the uh, city of Lubeck to score sweet, sweet victory points. Now, 
The core gameplay is very simple. On your turn, you're generally usually just going to move your ship that represents you from one city to an adjacent city and then activate the powers of those cities. Uh, and then on your next turn, you're going to do it again. Move to another city and activate power. And that sounds really simple. But what ultimately ends up evolving is, okay, I know the next three cities I need to go to. Because if I go to that city, I'll get this. If I go to this city, I'll get that. And then all that stuff, I'll be able to at the third city, three turns from now, I'll be able to deliver all that and get the huge payday. But the thing is, this world is constantly in flux. You have to move it, move it, sometimes paying extra to go faster than you normally would because the cities themselves can change. Um, if players get enough influence in a given city, that will change what the city produces and what the city wants. And not only that, there's this very, very cool goods production wheel that determines what all the different cities are producing. And so, hey, at one point, that city might be producing fish, but by the time you get there, there's no more fish to be had. And so, you've really um, got so much crunch going on. And the thing is, this game is so meaty, you can really be planning five, six, seven turns in advance. Okay, I know I need to get over there to the far, far east. I'm way over here in London. Right, so if I stop there, then there, then there, then there. But what if that changes? Because that's about to change. Well, okay, if I stop there, the other thing it could do would be that. And this is the big problem we had with it. Jen found she was making such big, huge combo chains in her head to try to play at peak efficiency. It was a little overwhelming. Now, me, I loved it. I'm very much a bird in the hand instead. Forget about the two birds in the bush. I've, I've, who knows what will happen? And so, I mean, for me, the game just flowed really nice and smooth. Hey, what's available to me right where I am as opposed to what's on the other side of the world that I'm trying to work my way towards? But um, I do warn you, uh, folks, if you're interested in Alderman, check out my run-through. Uh, links for the run-throughs of all of these are in the show notes down below. Uh, and you can get a sense for you know whether it will trigger AP analysis paralysis in you the same way it did in my wife. But, man... Um, uh, th there is so much to love about this game. It's not the prettiest looking game I've ever seen, but it is one of the best really crunchy buy low, sell high uh, economic Euro simulations out there. It is number 14, Alderman. Okay, then let's go on to number 13, Frozen Frontiers. Now, oh, this is uh, from Alderac. No, not Alderac. This is from Arcane Wonders and uh, their publishing partner, Cosmodrome. Uh, you know, the, the same team that brought us um, oh, Aquatica, which is one of the best engine building games in years. And this is a phenomenal game about uh, trying to industrialize a, a planet out in deep space and send all those resources back to Earth to save humanity. And the core gameplay is very simple. On your turn, you're either going to move your processing ship um, once or maybe sometimes more spaces to an adjacent location, one of the uh, growing cities on this alien planet, and either build new industry there or activate the industry that's already there that's been built by you and very likely other players. As you might imagine, when you use the stuff of other players, they're very happy because they get nice passive income benefits. And um, so that is the core crux of the game. But what drives it is every turn, um, you've got a handful of cards and um, when you are building, you're going to play a card. That card says what I can build and it says where I should build it. Because if 
I can build the right power plant in the correct city, um, I will get the full benefit of that card. And uh, that card will be unlocked as an ongoing special power I have for the rest of the game. But often, hey, I need to build this power plant right now. But the city is on the other side of the board. It would be way too expensive for me to get over there. So um, I will just instead build it right now, not get the extra bonus on the card. But whenever that happens, instead, you get subsidy bonuses from Earth, which come in a variety of different options as well. So this game is constantly deluging you with income from different sources uh, so that you can smartly put it all together. And it's interesting, you track it on probably one of the most oddball resource tracking boards I've ever seen. And I'll be honest, that takes a bit of getting used to because it's negative space that represents what you actually have. Now, there's reasons for that because of how you manipulate all your goods and convert them into other things and whatnot. Long story short, uh, the game is fantastic. It's no surprise considering the pedigree of the designer and the design house. Um, it also features a very, very strong element of area control because the more people that build and commit to a given city, uh, the... Uh, uh, the, the more they stand to score. And the more I use a city that is mostly occupied by your buildings, the more I'm potentially letting you score at the end of the game if you end up controlling that city at the end of the game. So players are really interwoven with each other every step of the way in this very, very smart action game where it's all driven by these cards that just give you so much to noodle over, so much to crunch over, that Jen and I really enjoyed it. Uh, number 13, Frozen Frontiers. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Then let's move on to number 12, Series. Which, I swear folks, it's a total coincidence that two games about setting up uh, in industry on um, faraway exoplanets <coughs> happen to show up... Oh, excuse me again, folks. <coughs> happen to show up right next to each other on the list. But um, this is a game all about mining uh, the dwarf... The, the Dwarf Planet series in the asteroid belt in the uh, in our solar system. So while the uh, previous game was a little bit more forward-thinking because it was like on the other side of a wormhole, more future tech, this one's kind of grounded in where we are in maybe 100 or 150 years from now. And it's a worker placement game that is very, very cool because there's two types of workers in this game. Uh, there's my workers, who I can basically um, use in my own neck of the woods to you know, trigger whatever it is that I want to do, are... Wait a minute. No, 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 no. I I've got this wrong. I've got it backwards. I was thinking of another game where there's two different workers. Okay, so there's two types of workers. There's um, the, the workers I can use, and then there is a communal pool of workers. The workers I can use 
they go out to just, they work very much like traditional workers. Hey, uh, if you go over to the power plant, again, power plants in space, who knew? If you go over to the power plant, I've, I've occupied that space, now nobody else can occupy it, and the spaces dry up fast as we're trying to develop our, you know, our mining industry. But then, Every round, more workers, um, literal workers, little meeples, come from Earth on ships, and you can see them coming. So you, in a given round, you know what type of workforce is going to show up next round, and you're already planning for it, because that is a communal pool of workers. And they are a resource that you can use on your own board. You use the um, your, you use your own workers on the public board, you use the communal workers on your private board, and that is so cool and so interesting. And... Um, really pushes you uh, to have a lot of tension in ways that you don't normally see in worker placement games. I mean, there's the normal stuff of, oh, will I be able to do the action before it's all tied up? But the other ones of, hey, I can always do this action anytime I feel like it, but can I actually get the workers to do it? Because the, this type of worker is always drawing off, but meanwhile, this type of worker placement space is always drying up. And trying to balance those two different pressures at once and try to outthink your opponent makes for a very sharp, puzzly game. From Artipia Games, it's a real return to form for one of my favorite publishers of all time, number 12 on the list, series. Okay, now let's go on to number 11, Fate Forge, The Chronicles of Khan. And I'll, uh, folks, most of the games I'm about to talk about on this list are big, crunchy, heavy economic simulation heroes. Not Fate Forge. This is big, exciting, expansive fantasy adventure. And I love it because this does stuff... You know, it's working in the same genre as a lot of games these days. Ever since Gloomhaven came out, whatever it was, five or six years ago, there are so many publishers out there trying to make their own Gloomhaven. A big box full of expansive narrative campaigns that you play through lots of different scenarios and level up your characters and try to get that old, classic, long-term, multi-session, role-playing game feel, but in board game form. A lot of people are pursuing that, um, you know, following in the footsteps of... Uh, of Gloomhaven and now Frosthaven. Fate Forge is in that same milieu, but they do things so differently than everybody else. Because um, this game, most of these games are generally about, hey, following the Fate Forge formula, about 80% combat and 20% other stuff, you know, interacting with people in town and doing story stuff and leveling up your characters. This game, it's more like 50-50. And the reason for that is because combat in this game is incredibly fast and fluid and, there's no better word for it, cinematic. Because um, when you come in, when, when the story says, hey, well, you enter the swamps and you get attacked by bandits or whatever, you can very quickly, like in less than a minute, set up the board because they're built of very simple pieces, put all the bad guys out, and you are up and running in no time. And that fight between you and the bandits in the swamp or in the sewers or the dark alleys or wherever it might be is going to be done in less than 20 minutes. You're just going to be in and out. It's going to be nothing but high stakes, really, really fast-paced action driven by dice. It's kind of a dice worker placement. I have my dice. They're all special uh, custom face dice that you can use to activate your different powers in every turn. Um, you are trying to puzzle out what is the best way to use my dice to you know, backflip and you know fire three arrows while I'm still in the air and pin somebody to the wall and all kinds of just cool, fun, like fantasy superhero stuff. Like this game makes you feel like Legolas at peak Legolas. I'm talking about Hobbit Legolas, not um, you know uh, Lord of the Rings when Legolas was literally doing insane, impossible stuff. This game gives you that feel that you are literally a fantasy superhero, just cutting through the bad guys like butter, and it's so fun and cool and satisfying. And again, it just feels really cinematic. 
while still being smart because it's all driven by the same um, dice system that um, from the same uh, developer designer, Gorn Kalea, uh, what was it called? Vengeance. Uh, Vengeance was a bigger, crunchier, more robust game all about you know, kind of reliving a revenge flick from the 70s or 80s. This is high fantasy, um, you know, set in the Fate Forge universe, which apparently is a very uh, successful pen and paper RPG system. But uh, again, uh, I mean, you can watch my run through. You can watch run through for all of these to get a better sense for what it's like. But um, when I think about this, I think it's just so exciting that, oh, in a given um, two-hour session of this, we might have three big epic uh, conflict sessions instead of one, uh, because it's just always going, 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 and it's just a blast. And um, it is number 11 on the list, Fate Forge Chronicles of Khan. Now, let's go on to number 10. Back to the Crunchy Euros, folks. Uh, it is Darwin's Journey from Simone Luciani and uh, Story uh, Manticore, I believe. I think. No, Story, I might be getting your name wrong. I apologize. But anyway, <clears throat> this is a worker placement game where we are kind of trying to follow in the footsteps of Darwin, um, you know, visiting all the same islands he visited on the Beagle, um, studying the uh, flora and fauna, trying to make observations, engaging in correspondence with scientists from around the world, and um, scoring lots of points along the way. So, already, I very much enjoy the subject matter. I mean, this is really, uh, you know, Darwin the, the Euro, basically. You really get to feel like, oh, well, um, in Euro game mechanisms, this is me, you know, living that life, changing the world. So that's all very cool. But that's theme. The gameplay is equally cool because it is a worker placement game that does some very cool stuff. You start out with a few assistant workers and several different worker placement spots on the board. But each of your workers has one particular area of expertise, whether they are good at exploring or sailing or corresponding or investigating or whatever it is. So if I'm going to play my green worker, because that's green is the color for exploration, there are some things, some worker placement spots, he literally cannot do because he just doesn't know how to do that stuff. But there's other things where, oh, if he does this, this particular action, he'll get bonuses. So um, the interesting thing about this game is you start with these workers, you can get more workers, but more importantly, you, over the course of the game, you train your workers to get access to different abilities. And I really love that investment idea. The, I mean, the, the, these workers literally on your cards have pictures. So you start to get a real sense of connection with them in a way that generally does not happen in games where you're just sending your little meeples around, even Agricola, which is so thematic and, you know, a poor, struggling family about to starve, I do not feel a connection with them the same way I feel a connection with these because I can see them. I've got a picture of them. I wish I had names for them too, but I can make up my own names. But anyway, so they all have special abilities. They all have strengths and weaknesses. And over the course of the game, you can invest in them to um, get more strengths to offset their weaknesses. And I love that. I love... Because you know, worker placement games, I think, are so successful amongst Euro-style games because the... The worker is a conduit for you to kind of project yourself into the world. Most Euros, you're completely an abstract entity just moving resources from one place to another. In a worker placement game, oh, that's my buddy. I see them. So a game that doubles down on that and really makes them characters who you can kind of connect with and invest in, that really elevates things to the next level. And then, I mean, and I'm just scratching the surface. The worker placement um, action spots also change and evolve over the course of the game, which is very, very cool. Um, you know, in different ways every time. Um, also, this game has one of the best player scaling for two-player systems I have seen since Year of the Dragon from Stefan Feld. And all other worker placement games should study this to know how to do it right to make a game that was designed for more players to work brilliantly at two. 
This game is fantastic. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I covered it a couple of years ago on Kickstarter, but I think it's finally coming out in 2023, which is why it comes in at number 10 on the list. Darwin's Journey. Okay, let's go on to number 9. Uh, uh, how Rulers of Yucatan. And another big crunchy thing. And I, one thing I really should say about this game that I was very impressed. The, uh, the uh, developers worked very, very hard with um, you know, professors and scholars and even the indigenous people of, uh, of the Yucatan. I mean, they actually got an, uh, an, a scribe of ancient Incan language uh, you know, who is still alive today to be a contributor to this game to make sure that they really nailed the verisimilitude and um, you know, weren't taking liberties with um, you know, this cultural heritage that they were trying to represent. And first of all, I just want to doff my cap to them for that. But all that aside, how does the game play? It's very, very cool. Because on the surface, it kind of almost feels like an area control game. You've got all these different regions in the Yucatan, and every round, each player is going to simultaneously play two cards. One card says, where do I want my ruler to go? Uh, which region? And they're all numbered 1 through 5, I think, or 1 through 6, or something like that. And the other card I play is, how badly do I want to go there? Because it's like an initiative speed card. So if um, I try to go to area five and I played a two and you played a three, oh, I'm sorry, you can't get there because I got there first. <clears throat> you know, kind of a thing. A uh, very Gloomhaven initiative style thing, which I always love whenever I see it. But the interesting thing about this game is you can only go to any given region once in a round. So sometimes you will be desperate to go to a region a second time and you can't go there because you've already played that card. Here's one way you could do it. Go to an adjacent region that you think I'm going to go to and play a low initiative so that you will get kicked out. You want to get kicked out by me so that you can hopefully bump to where you need to go. And I love that. I mean, I've often talked about worker placement bumping is a really great mechanism. Um, this is, I guess, kind of an offshoot of that, and it's so cool. And honestly, I am just talking about one of the dozen, or at least half a dozen, different gameplay mechanisms that all comes together here. A big part of what we're doing is harvesting resources um, to build up these pyramids in this wonderfully puzzly side element. Or you could ignore that and focus more on area control of the main board, because we're um, trying to get more of our followers in all the cities around the Yucatan. Um, although we end up spending them to do other stuff, so we kind of lose our grip on area control. Everything about this game is fantastic. Oh, and then one more thing. This game is so overloaded with great ways for players to interact with each other. There are these wonderful little pyramids that are randomly generated every time you play that have objectives on them. And if I get enough influence on that, then I'm going to score that particular objective. But I'm not going to score that objective on how well I harvest that resource or build that thing. I'm going to score that objective based on however the best player in the game does it. So all of a sudden, if I see somebody's doing really good at pyramid building then maybe I want to be an investment in pyramid building, not because I did a great job of it, but because you did. And that stuff is so neat. There are a lot of very, very cool ideas, all driven by an incredibly tension-filled core action selection mechanism that I really adored, as did Jen, which is why we've got it at number nine, Ahua, Rulers of the Yucatan. Okay, then let's go on to number eight, Colab. Uh, which is uh, CEO capital LAB, I believe is the way it's uh, spelled. And that is obviously short for collaboration. And this is a Frankenstein's monster, mad scientist, experiment, worker placement style game with very some of the best, most charming art I have ever seen. I do not know who the artist on this game is, but man, I need to see their art in more stuff because every card for every science experiment that you try to engage in is just gorgeous and in 
incredibly warm and charming too. I absolutely love the look of the game. But that's not what makes the game so special. This is a worker placement game. Um, where I've got two types of workers. I've got my main scientist, my mad scientist, where I have my own special powers, and then I've got my um, minions. And I can send myself out or my minions out. The interesting thing is my minions are actually powered by dice. Uh, I have to put these, I have to plug these dice into my little minion worker or send them out. That indicates, you know, what they're going to be able to do out in the world. But here's the thing. Once I put a minion out into the world, onto the board, and they're sitting there, um, they are available to everybody. Because what we want to do as our mad scientists, we want to actually place ourselves in the labs, whereas the minions go into the hallways between the labs. So if I place a minion between the orange and the purple laboratory, that minion can help me or you or anybody else if you send your main scientist to the purple or the orange laboratory. And um, so I might have gone there because I needed the benefit that my minion gave me, but that was the last thing you needed. Suddenly, I need to change all my plans and go to that purple lab because that last extra minion lets me finish what I needed to do. And so this is a game of collaboration. You are constantly sending your own minions out there to try to complete your own stuff, but also paying attention to what your opponent does as well. And it's just wonderfully done. Really, really sharp. Um, you know, the, the thing that makes this game so special, I love the fact that they literally put it in the title. This is a competitive game of collaboration, and it's great. Uh, it looks fantastic, plays fantastic, and uh, I suggest everybody take a look at it when it comes out in 2023. Number eight, Collab. Okay, now let's talk about number seven, Copan Dying City. <clears throat> Which, by the way, is another game where the developers did their due diligence and um, spoke with academics and cultural experts and brought them on board to make the game a more well-rounded experience. So again, my hat's off to them. I just want to keep Yo, uh, you know, shouting praises until it just becomes the norm, and it's just what something everybody does. Uh, because yeah, if you're going to try to represent a culture in your board game, why not give back to that culture by having them help you make the game better? Fantastic, and I'm glad that they were able to do it with Copan Dying City. But what is the game itself? It is about the final days of the Incan Empire. Uh, we are in Copan, the the center of the empire. It is a dying city. And it's interesting. At the beginning of the game, um, it's a worker placement game where, like some of the other ones I've mentioned today, we have a single worker. And um, in the early game, there are resources aplenty. And whatever you do, you're just constantly bringing in resources because we're at the height of the empire. Everything is great. And you can achieve any kind of goals you want very quickly. But over the course of the game, as round after round passes, more and more worker placement spaces get compromised or shut down because the Incan Empire is dying. Um, we are in its waning days. And so what starts out as a big smorgasbord, do whatever you want, wherever you want, when you want, as the game goes on, things get tighter and more constricted. And stuff that was easy at the beginning of the game becomes all but impossible to do by the end of the game. And that is such a cool reversal on what is by far the standard... Um, arc of a euro where you start out small and you end up big. Here, you start out huge. You can The world is your oyster, but by the end of the game, you can barely rub two sticks together as you're desperately trying to finish those last few objectives. And I think that is such a cool, interesting twist. I enjoy it for that. But then I also enjoy it as a worker placement game because, like I said, I've got one worker that represents me. If I send myself to one of the, I think it's like five or six different locations on the board. The thing is, 
I'm not committing myself to just doing that action once, but doing it three times in a row. Because if I do an action once, I get a weak version of it. On my next turn, if I stay there and do it a second time, I'll get a better version. And on my third turn, in a row, successively, if I stay there again, I'll get the really super action. And so this game requires a lot more long-term planning because you know what? I might not care about the first or second. Am I going to effectively kind of take myself offline for two turns so I can get that really big one? But, oh my gosh, another space opened up over there. I really need to jump over there, but I haven't made it to the top of the one I'm already working on. (coughs) Excuse me again. So cool. This game is chock-a-block full of really fun ideas, uh, great thematic presentation, respectfully done, uh, and I, I recommend it number seven on the list, Copen... Copan, Dying City. Ah, folks, but now let's talk about number six. Oh, this one is even better. John Nang, Life of Gentry. And now, um, this is set uh, in Far East Asia. I forget what time, you know, kind of a Renaissance era, uh, before the Age of Industrialization, if I recall correctly. Um, You know, one of the older dynasties. I'd have to go back and look up. I should go back and look it up, but I don't have time and I'm very under the weather. So, uh, but folks, I I mentioned all that if you go check out the run through itself. But what is it? Um, This is, what'd you call it? I guess you call it a bag building game because I have a bag full of chips. And at the beginning of a round, I'm going to draw four of those chips out of the bag and I'm going to place them above my board. And each chip has two actions. And on my turn, I am going to pick one of those chips to do whatever the top action is. And that's basically kind of the equivalent of a worker placement. <gasps> my wife just came in with more. Oh, thank you, honey pie. The other stuff went very cold. Oh, we interrupt this uh, number six, folks, for some honey tea brought in by Jen. Thanks, honey. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh. oh what was I talking about? Okay. Um, Alrighty. Um, right. So, uh, you know, it's it, I, I activate the top action, which basically means I get to activate, you know, the market or the countryside or the 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 rich gentry or whatever it is. And I, you know, each different action lets you do different things. But we are artisans in this game. Our job is to make the greatest works of art, whether it is literal paintings or um, poetry or is the third one songs, if I recall correctly, or maybe no, it's poetry and and drama, putting on dramatic productions, poetry and art. And the thing is, the um, the wants and needs of the people of Jianyang are changing all the time. I mean, there's kind of like a pop culture element to this game. They're, hey, for the next couple of years, uh, it looks like paintings might be hot, and I should really go into paintings. But uh, based on choices players make, it might be, oh, you know what? Paintings didn't turn out to be quite so hot after all, and I made the wrong investments. Um, there's this really, really cool system that kind of tracks what is popular in the culture of the time. But um, I, I, back to the original action selection. So anyway, I pick one of my chips, uh, any of the four that are up there to do the top action. The um, But two chips are going to get spent in a given turn. One of them um, I, I keep and it's going to go back in the bag to be used later. The other one, whichever one is furthest to the right of all my chips, gets um, removed from the game gets destroyed. But I get the bottom action on it, which is some kind of idea, or or it's the resource. Our resources are inspiration for art, drama, and um, poetry. 
if I recall correctly. So every turn, you are going to do one action and harvest one resource. Uh, but while you're choosing that, you are also picking one of your very limited ships that are in your bag that will get destroyed and removed from the game. And so that then moving forward is one less opportunity to do whatever was on the top of that ship. And maybe you say, hey, you know what? I'm really not going to go to the Muse's house anymore. I can afford to let this chip go. Um, but maybe that's part of your strategy. And you don't want to let that go, but you really want to get that yellow inspiration it would give you if you let it get trashed. Now, over the course of the game, you will be able to get bigger, more powerful chips. So it's a good thing that you're replacing the old ones with new, bigger, powerful ones. But can you get the ones that fill in the uh, shortcomings you might have based on the shifting cultural um, uh, preferences of the uh, of the city? And I love how all this comes together. It's really nice and thematic. That core mechanism for how to select actions is one of the coolest, freshest I've seen in a long time, and it is a big, crunchy, satisfying game. Uh, man, I didn't even talk about the ships and how... Look, it, it, I, I could talk about this a lot more, but you can watch my run-through to see more, folks. I'm going to stop right there at number six, John Nan. And now, folks, here's where I pull a sneaky switcheroo, because the final five games on this countdown, numbers five through one... I've already recorded that list a couple of weeks ago when I got together with Chris George of uh, Room and Board Reviews. He uh, did a special guest spot on the R&R show when Ruel couldn't make it. And he and I did our top 10 crowdfunding games of 2022. And so the five I talk about in that list are my numbers 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. So, if you haven't already seen that episode, well, folks, you can go on and hit that eye in the top right corner screen, or there's yet another link down in the show notes. And um, you can finish this off. Finish it! Um, if you've already seen that, though, then thank you, as always, for uh, checking out. Hopefully, some of all this stuff has got you as excited as we are. Once again, let me say a huge thanks to all the contributors on the channel for taking the time to put together their little videos. I really think it adds a lot. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, folks, we are Dunsville. Thank you very much for watching. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. But I'm still here because you can subscribe and you can push that thing right there to go check out me and Chris doing the last bit. Numbers 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. Go ahead and click. It's just waiting for you. What are you waiting for? What will it take to make you click this thing right here? Come on. I don't know how long this is going to take. My voice is getting too... <coughs> okay. <coughs>